today on the Doc on the Run podcast, we're talking with Isabel about the strategies she used to recover from sesamoiditis and start training for the London Marathon. So the big question is this, how are runners like us who don't like hearing doctors say, just stop running, who know that we simply have to stay active, how do we heal in a way that lets us stay strong, maintain our running fitness, and keep preparing for the next race, and still heal without making the injury worse? Well, that is the question, and this podcast will give you the answers. My name is Dr. Christopher Segler, and welcome to the Doc on the Run podcast. Now, before we get started, I just wanted to take a second and let you know we've created a couple of different excellent resources for any runner who might have a sesamoid injury. So our guest today, she actually went through this long battle with a sesamoid injury and then got back to marathon training. And during her journey, she had to look for and find doctors, physical therapists, and others who could help her heal the sesamoid injury and keep running. And she put together a list of those providers. And just by understanding who they are, looking them up, even if you're not in London, you know, if you look them up and you see kind of their approach, it might give you kind of a clue of who to look for in your area. And it might help you find someone to help you recover as well from a sesamoid injury. In addition, I created a video for you to answer the number one question I get from runners with problems with the sesamoid bones. And that question is, of course, can I run with sesamoiditis? Now, both of these resources together, we'll have them on the website. They're free. You can go to the show notes page for this episode at docontherun.com under the podcast tab. You can check them out when you get done with this episode, and I think they'll be really helpful. The first thing is that sesamoiditis is a condition which can affect runners or any kind of athlete, dancers, tennis players, whoever, but it's truthfully not all that common when compared to other problems in the foot. And it can get misdiagnosed because if you take an x-ray of the foot initially, a lot of times nothing looks wrong at all. And the problem, of course, is that if you don't catch a diagnosis early, particularly when you're an athlete, when you're a runner, the problem can get worse and then go from just a little bit of inflammation within the bone to developing into a full-on stress fracture of the sesamoid bone, and that's a serious problem. So the sesamoids, if you're not really familiar with them, a sesamoid bone, by definition, is a bone that's partially within a joint and partially outside of a joint. So the easiest way to get an example of this is to look at your kneecap. The kneecap is the largest sesamoid bone in your body. Uh, We call it the patella or the kneecap, but it's a sesamoid bone. So when you see it protruding out underneath the skin, that portion of the kneecap is not in the joint, but the undersurface of that is covered with cartilage. It's inside your knee joint, and it moves back and forth against the end of your femur or your thigh bone whenever you walk, run, move your knee. And the two sesamoid bones, the things that we actually call sesamoids, there's two of them under each uh, foot in the big toe joint, and you stand on both of those, and they're just like tiny little kneecaps, but they're the size of kidney beans. They're not as big as your kneecap, obviously. For whatever reason, um, you know, these, these little bones can get really irritated and become a problem. And the sesamoid injuries, again, they can be very serious because you stand on them, just like your kneecap. If you break your kneecap, it's a really serious injury because it can make it almost impossible to use your knee. And if you injure the sesamoids, if it turns into a sesamoid fracture and it breaks apart, they're very small bones. So it's very difficult to put them back together and then be able to use them without pain. So a lot of times the solution that that runners get offered is surgery to remove the sesamoid bones. And that obviously changes things permanently. So your foot's never going to be the same if you have that surgery. Whether or not you run, who knows. But I know it's never going to be the same. That's for sure. And that's not even debatable. 
So today we have somebody who's been through this who can kind of share her personal experience with what that whole journey was like. You know, not to scare you that you're going to have to have surgery, but I think that happened to her actually. And, you know, not everybody has to have surgery. There are a few questions where I often tell runners and I tell doctors at conferences, one of the most common questions I get at medical conferences when I lecture on running injuries is, what would you not let people run with? Because my approach is always to keep people running whenever possible so they don't lose all their fitness and then they can continue to achieve their running goals. Well, sesamoiditis is one of those conditions, one of only a few where I think you really have to like maybe stop running for a short period of time or something, but you have to do something to decrease the stress to the sesamoid bones enough that you can get below your threshold for healing. That doesn't always mean you have to stop running, but it's something you have to take seriously. Again, Isabel's been very open about her journey with sesamoiditis, and she's posted a lot of stuff on uh, social media. And her story is, although I didn't treat her personally, her story is actually very closely aligned with what I see with most of the runners who call me when they call for a consultation or schedule a webcam visit. And most of them have not just had this aching pain in their foot for a week, but they've had the problem for a long time and they really don't know what's going on initially and why they've been having all this pain under the big toe joint. And of course, in many times, then they see a doctor and they get freaked out because they're told they need surgery on the first visit. But luckily enough for us, we have Isabel here to share her personal story, her journey, and let us know what we should really understand about sesamoid injuries so that you can understand it a little better. So Isabel, thanks for coming on the show today. Thank you. It's really cool to be here. Your podcast has helped a lot on this journey. I oh, well, thanks. That's really nice. Uh, I'm glad that it's helped, but um, I know you got a lot of help from a lot of different places. But before we get into all the questions about sesamoiditis and sesamoid injuries in general, maybe you could give us uh, just a little bit more detail about your running history and why you became interested in running and in running marathons. Uh, okay, so I'm kind of a newish runner. I hated running growing up because I suffered from very, very severe asthma. Uh, and I grew up in Sao Paulo, Brazil, which is a very polluted city, which definitely did not contribute to my, <laughs> to my breathing. Uh, it was only when I was around 13 or 14 when I joined the junior fencing team uh, in the sports club in Brazil that I had a coach who actually had asthma and taught mm. me a few breathing exercises and that really helped me develop my lungs but i still hated running it was just really difficult uh weirdly enough i started running because of my first injury uh on my right foot i ruptured three ligaments oh, wow. um, skateboarding <laughs> and it's obviously i had already some developing problems on this foot because I did classical ballet for a long time, ever since I was really young. And so I always had a few issues on my ligaments because at one point I was, you know, dancing maybe five days a week for four hours when I was 14 and on point. So it's, uh, it's a great uh, activity, but it, it can cause damage mm -hmm. to your body uh, as I found. But so I had to have surgery on my right foot and the recovery was very slow. It took me nine months to walk again fully because I, I was on the wheelchair, then on a cast. And so it took just a long time. And so to go back to walking properly, I did a lot of physiotherapy and it was such a troublesome time that I 
vow to myself that I would take very good care of myself from then on. So I, you know, I had to do a lot of indoor cycling, some swimming to get back to it. And at one point I, I would train how to properly walk again on a treadmill. Uh, and that's, after a while, I started feeling better. I was actually doing more exercise than I had ever done uh, consistently. And I started running a little bit and I felt like I could run. Um, at the same time, I found out that I was uh, allergic to eggs and that I removed that and it really helped my asthma as, as one can imagine if you stop mm -hmm. eating stuff that makes you have allergy prices. And so it was kind of an evolving thing. So I ran my first half marathon in, I would like, I think 2015 or 2016. And after that, I was like, oh, I want more. And I got really into ultra marathon and trail running. And I just signed up for the Paris Marathon on a whim, just because I wanted a big challenge. All right. So and as I understand it also, you know, okay, so you sign up for it on a whim, but um, I mean, that's a big race and you know, that's a lot of people's like sort of lifetime goal thing is to do the Paris marathon, but you signed up for it on a whim and then you started having this pain that sort of started this whole thing. Were you having pain in the time leading up to the Paris marathon or was it during the race or just after the event that you really started to notice all this pain under the big toe joint where you had a sesamoid injury? So during the training, my training was very low mileage. I had a coach that has been my, the person who's helped me go back from my injury since the beginning. He's very careful. He knows about my asthma history. He's, and he's, he just wanted me to get through the race without any injuries. So I would run maybe three to four times a week, low mileage. And um, I didn't really feel any pain. It was very gradual. I had a long time to prepare. Um, I was feeling good. I did a lot of icing. I did some, you know, cryotherapy during the treatment. But yeah, so I really started to feel the pain right after the marathon. But I, what happened was I had decided because I really enjoyed the marathon and I felt really well. I mean, I I ran in four hours and something. It wasn't like I was speeding through it, but I felt good. I didn't have any major issues. And I was like, oh, maybe I can try a 50K on a trail. Yeah. And instead of talking to my coach, I just found an online training plan. And so I went from running three times a week to running six times a week. Oh, yeah. And uh, in like three weeks time so there was no build up and very you know in one month after the Paris marathon I was in pain mm -hmm. uh, so okay all right so it, so why do you think the sesamoid injury really started do you think it was just because you sort of had a low mileage train up you know and build up for the Paris marathon and then the Paris marathon kind of pushed you over the edge because you had so much stress during one specific day? Or do you think it was that uh, beginning ultra training running six days a week after the marathon? If you think about the, the inciting sort of amount of stress you applied to the bone, do you think it was that event or the training immediately after or the combination of both? I think it was kind of a combination. I was doing a lot of like hit classes, so a lot of jumping lunges. I didn't do a lot of strength training. I was very green. I think it was a his, it, you know, it was 
the sesamoid injury was on the same foot that I had my first injury. So uh, I think it's maybe a combination of things, to be honest. (laughs) All right. Well, was it your left foot or your right foot? My right foot. Okay. So when you ran the marathon and when you did your training, where did you run? Do you remember? Were you running in the street or on jogging paths? Where are you running? Uh, On a mix of street and also inside parks and a few times on Hampstead Heath or Richmond, which are parks here in London that are more of a trail-like. Yeah. Okay. And when you would run in the street, would you run um, in the road facing traffic? Um, yes, but not too much. It's okay. maybe a kilometer, a kilometer and a half to get to the park. So okay. it's not too much. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. The only reason I ask that is that, you know, if it's your right foot, one of the things that happens when you run in the road facing traffic so you don't get hit by a car is that the road slopes toward the gutter. And so if you're running in the road facing traffic, you're basically running along a slope. Even though it's subtle, it's still there. And if you do a marathon and you run the entire marathon, for example, like on the, you know, they're closed roads, right? But if you run on the left side of the road near the left sidewalk with your left shoulder toward the sidewalk, then basically your right foot's pronated the entire time. And that pronation creates instability and movement that can actually really irritate the sesamoids. And a lot of times I see people and they get it on one foot or the other and they run all the time in the road or on the sidewalk. And, and that is really, you know, applying all that stress to the sesamoid bone that leads to this injury. But then, you know, you switch to trails that actually, even though it's a lot of volume, it kind of mixes things up in a way that is probably a lot better for you. So it might've been actually a lot worse if you just started that same volume of training, you know, just for a marathon and not really for a trail race, that probably would have been even worse. But when all that first started, when you started having this pain under the big toe joint after the Paris marathon, um, what did you think? I mean, did you really understand what was going on that you really had an injury or did you just think you had some kind of achy soreness because you were training a lot? How did that sort of show up for you? Yeah. So it, it was a gradual buildup of the pain. And yeah, in the beginning I thought, Oh, maybe it's, you know, when I had my first surgery on my right foot, when I had the three ligaments, et cetera, my doctor told me your foot will never feel exactly the same. You mm-hmm. probably won't be able to dance ballet again. Like I wouldn't try going on the point or anything. Like I don't even wear heels anymore. So I did have to have to change a few things in my life right. because I really felt it. Um, so, and, and my right uh, leg used to be my, most important leg the one that i would you know stay better on anything that was one side only you know when you do your uh attitudes or whatever on on ballet and now it's my left leg which is stronger so i assumed it was some sort of balance issue and that if i just iced it it would get better (laughs) right right well that makes sense i mean you would think um but it didn't right and um how long did it take before you really realized that this was serious? You know, when you realized it wasn't really just going to get better or go away, like the normal sort of aches and pains all over the place that kind of vary and change that runners get during training. And we just dismiss and eventually go away anyway. How long did it take before you realized how serious it was? It took maybe two to three months until we got to the point where walking was making me cry. Yeah. I was just in a I just did not understand what was going on. And right. so, yeah. Okay. So, uh, so a few months, you basically, like any good runner, just suffered along and figured you'd tough it out. And yeah. then it got to the point where you're about to cry when you walk. 
And as I understand it, one of your defining moments was really when you went to see a doctor about it and, um, and you were told it would probably get worse and that you might have to have surgery. So, you know, once you figured out that this was going on and you got worried, um, you know, and you were told you had this diagnosis of sesamoiditis and you were told that it was very, very serious and would probably even lead to surgery. Like what, what did you do to, to deal with all of that anxiety? Because it's not something we usually talk about. We talk about the physical injury, um, about the, the pain of running, how to get past the you know, limitations that we have. And not everybody really talks about the anxiety that comes along with being given some diagnosis like that. I mean, it's almost like if you went to the doctor and said, you know, you're just not going to be able to drive a car anymore. You, you know, it's just like this huge blow. Like, what do you mean? I can't do that anymore. And it is really serious when you're a runner. So what did you do like to deal with all that anxiety? Cause it had to be a lot. You already signed up for a race, you're training and you know, you really had this fantastic experience with Paris. What was that like? It was horrible. I was, it, it, it took all, all, almost six months to get the diagnosis to start off because the, I had an x-ray that didn't show anything. And right. then, you know, I had the pain got to a point that I had like pins and needles everywhere. So they did a, they tried to see if I had something on my spine right. because they didn't see anything on my foot. So it took forever just to get to the doctor. There was a foot specialist that actually gave me a, an MRI and a CT scan and said, Oh, this is what you have. So, right. uh, so not having the diagnosis was, I think even the worst part because I just, I was really, um, I mean, really scared because, because no one knew what was going on. And then this whole, Oh, maybe you have something on your spine right. situation came. And I was like, what cannot be like, I'm, you know, I'm a young person. Like it's surely this is not, I mean, Anyway, so it was hard. I usually use uh, sports or physical activity to relieve tension, and I couldn't. <laughs> so, yeah, it involved uh, some crying and uh, a lot of uh, talking to people, and really, it was just not the best time. It was just very difficult. Lots of chocolate, um, but. <laughs> At one point, once I got to the to be honest, once I got the diagnosis, I was relieved because I I had a starting point. Right. As in, like, okay, at least I at least I know what it is because the not knowing was the killer part for me, really. Yeah. Well, so that's tough. So you go to the doctor and they they look at you, they hear your story. You can you know you have this incredible pain in your foot, and they poke around, they take some X rays, and they say, ah, I don't know. We don't see anything on the x-ray. So, you know, it's probably something else. And then they say, like, you know, you're told, okay, well, maybe you have some problem in your back. Oftentimes people are told they, well, maybe you have a herniated disc and it's pushing on your spine. That's causing this referred pain that's really not in your foot. It's in your back. It just seems like it because that's the part of the nerve that's getting irritated. Uh, maybe you have radiculopathy in your back. Maybe you have spinal stenosis. Maybe you have sciatica you know, you start getting nerve conduction studies and MRIs of your back and all kinds of crazy things. So what conditions did they suggest might be causing this pain that was really just a sesamoid injury? So yeah, they, they thought it was, I, I did a nerve conduction study. Oh, you did? <laughs> I did that. I don't know exactly what they were looking for, but I did that. And they also referred me to a neurologist to see if there was something wrong with my brain, which I thought <laughs> yeah. was crazy. 
And this was actually the best doctor that I saw because he was, let's say, very experienced. He's, he was, you know, he had a lot of years. And so he looked at all my exams. He said, look, I, girl, I don't know why they sent you here. You obviously need to see a sports yeah. or be this like someone specializing foot. Like you don't have anything on your brain yeah. or spine. And he was like, I don't understand why they sent you here. He was just completely shocked. And it was, I was so glad that he was like, he was a very experienced person. And he was just like, do, do not worry. You don't have anything on your brain. Right. Go back to phase one. You know, <laughs> Well, this is an important point. So there was, I'll never forget this. I was in residency and I'd done research on this particular kind of obscure fracture uh, that happens in the ankle when people sprain their ankle. And it's most often misdiagnosis and ankle sprain. And I saw this guy and I, like I was a resident, I wasn't even really a real doctor. I was still in my surgical training period. And, uh, but I went into the room and I like literally when I walked in, his x-rays were on the wall. I said, Oh, you have a lateral process fracture. And he said, what do you mean? And I was explaining to him, when well, you broke it, it's broken right here. We can like put it back in place, put a couple of screws in it. But if you don't do that, you're going to always have pain. You have to fix it. And he started crying. And I was like, uh, look, man, it's just a broken ankle. It's like, it's not really a big deal. It's pretty minor surgery. You're going to be fine. And he was crying. And he said, you don't understand. I've seen four doctors. The last doctor actually stuck his finger in my face. And he said, you don't need a foot doctor. You need a shrink. And, uh, you know, and so it was like, you know, he'd gone through this long thing where he had physical pain and then he had some guy basically telling him he was crazy and he wasn't crazy. The doctor, like the other ones had just missed it because it was not a thing that was easy to see. And it's like that with the sesamoids, you take an x-ray, they're really small bones anyway. They often are not fully developed in that they don't fuse together. So you have this thing called a bipartite sesamoid that's naturally in two pieces, but when you break it, obviously it can be broken into two pieces. Sometimes the radiologist or the doctor looking at it can't tell, is this a naturally occurring sesamoid bone that looks like it's in two pieces on an x-ray, but it's normal? Or did you break it and now it looks like it's in two pieces? And, you know, because of all the overlap with on the x-rays and stuff, it's not that easy to tell. And if you have these other things, like it's really swollen and that stretches the nerves and the skin and the soft tissue and it causes tingling or burning or any of that sort of stuff that sounds like nerve pain, then the doctor starts thinking, well, this is probably a nerve issue. It looks fine on the x-ray. You know, maybe she pulled her back when she was doing some exercises or something. And it gets very difficult. And so it can be very, very frustrating. So, you know, of all that stuff, though, you have the physical injury. You have the fact that you can't really run with your friends. You start thinking about having to cancel your race. You start thinking about, you know, the fact that you have to eat chocolate instead of go for a run because you don't have any way to deal with your frustration and your anxiety and the stress of everyday life. And so of all those things that can happen when you get this kind of sesamoid bone injury, what was the worst part for you, would you say? Yeah, it was, well, the pain first because it was debilitating. Yeah. Not being able to walk properly was right. insane. And I think, yeah, the fear that you, you know, you destroyed your foot for no foreseeable like, <laughs> reason and that you don't know if it's going to be better. And that's, right. that's how your life is going to be now. So that was, I think, yeah, the worst, the, the worst prognosis that you do in your own head of like, this is the worst case scenario. You can't see any light. Yeah. Um, yeah. 
It's true. Yeah. It's, it's easy for the fear to get away from you when you have these kind of injuries and you're given this very gloomy picture, you know, from, from doctors. And I mean, obviously the doctor's an expert and in theory, no matter how much you've researched it, the doctor probably knows more about you with that particular thing than you do because they've spent their whole life dedicated to training about that stuff. And so it's very hard to put that into the proper perspective sometimes. Um, but it is important, right? You've got to, you know, you have to come up with a plan, you have to pick a direction, and then you have to come up with some kind of treatment. So there are many different treatments for sesamoiditis, right? One of them is doctors will tell you to stop running. There's a whole range of things. Try some pads, try taping. We can cast you. We can put you on crutches. We could give you a fracture walking boot. Um, we can tell you to put some custom inserts in your shoes. There's a whole lot of different treatments. So uh, I know the first doctor basically told you to stop running, but you had already stopped running. Uh, and so that wasn't really going to help as a new treatment because you're already doing it. But what kind of other treatments did they suggest to you to try that really did not help at all? The first doctor of all that told me to do some stretching exercises on my toe. And that really took the pain to a whole new level. Yeah. And I was like, okay, I'm not going to do this anymore. This cannot be a, a normal stretching. Be because very much I did ballet for a long time. I know stretching pain, and that was much, much worse than anything I've ever experienced. Yeah. Uh, and then, yeah, one of them also told me to get those inserts on my shoes, which just made me feel pain on other parts of my foot, uh, like on the arc. It was just... Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's important, right? So, I mean, one of the things is that because there's so many different things connected to the sesamoid bones, you know, you have this little thing called the intersesamoidal ligament that connects the two bones together between them. And then you have the suspensory ligaments and the joint capsule and the flexor hallucis longus tendon and a whole bunch of stuff attaches. There's a muscle that attaches to one of the sesamoids on the side. There's all these things attaching to the sesamoid. And so you could have an injury with any of those things that seem like sesamoid pain. But yeah. if you think about a fracture, a stress fracture, or something that's about to become a stress fracture, like if you did that with your arm and you broke it, and if you think about what would happen if your arm was broken and a doctor said, well, just try bending it uh, several times a day and see how that does. It's the same kind of thing when you stretch the sesamoids. You just don't really think about it, but you have traction and you're pulling where the irritation and the inflammation, the fracture, the stress fracture, whatever you want to call it within the bone. And every time you stretch it by pulling the big toe, you're stretching that injured area and it becomes painful. So what was it that actually started to really kind of get things to improve for you? Because it is difficult to find the right treatment, but for anyone with a sesamoid injury who isn't improving, it doesn't mean you can't get better. It just means you have not yet found the thing that will work for you and nothing works for everyone or we would just all do it. So what did you find that really started to make a difference for you? So this was the process. I started Googling sesamoiditis and I found your podcast, which was super oh. helpful. I listened to everything. And that's when my delights came in and I, I said, well, I need to find specialists who also run or do sports or dance, anything. Uh, then I realized that uh, on the internet that a lot of dancers have this issue because obviously they are on their toes a lot. So the first thing I did was I got some pads, like silicone pads that I would put on my foot and I bought this really ugly pair of boots. 
uh, this was winter already in London, so they are really stiff, really stiff. So my toe wouldn't do this movement. It would, I would walk a little like a duck like this right. instead of walking, but it made me, it almost taped my foot naturally. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then I found two different physiotherapists. One was the one that I started going first was Ash was a pain specialist. Mm-hmm. And he was the one who said, look, you have too much inflammation. Like you can't even start the, any, any type of exercise. You need to really reduce it. And he has, you know, he, he does a variety of things. He has acupuncture. He has this huge sort of ultrasound machine that hurts a lot when he puts all the inflammation, whatever it has the inflammation. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it, oh my God, it works wonders. Right. Like as soon as you're done, he's not a big fan of taping. So he didn't take my foot, but you know, he, uh, it really helped going on the first, first three sessions were a, a life changing moment that I started walking again. I was like, oh my God, I don't feel so much pain. And so I was researching other physiotherapists at the time. And I found Alex who plays basketball. He used to uh, be the physiotherapist for a team of, uh, a, a soccer team here in the UK. Uh, so he saw a lot of foot problems. That was his specialty as well. And so I really went deep into the niche. So I wanted a foot specialist for everything. Right. <laughs> and someone who actually was, uh, I got I got all these people, all their names by by other runners. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, so I am part of a running club here in London called the Serpentine Club, and they had a list of providers. And I asked around, and they were like, "This person got me back to running." No one had had actually said something that is, but they all had other issues, and mm-hmm. everyone was like, "No, no." They also told me that I would never run again, and I can run. And so I said, "Okay," you know. So I, then I went to Alex. He was great. He told me to stop using the the special inserts on my shoes. Right. He said this is ridiculous, but also what type of shoes do you usually wear for, for running? And I said, ah, I wear whatever. Like I had like two types, and he said, okay, no, you need to go get yourself tested. I recommend this or that. Mm-hmm. And then I got uh, some Hoka shoes that have a lot of uh, support and again they were great i used to run i used to run with real flat shoes mm-hmm. and you know i guess it works for a lot of people but not for me <laughs> or right. not nothing for me. works for everyone again there's so many different kinds of running shoes no treatment works for everyone no treatment plan with sesamoiditis helps everyone you know, you have to really be able to analyze what's going on for you, what's working for you and what's not working for you and stop doing the things that are not working. And yeah. it's like Alex was very helpful in helping you figure that out. Yeah. And he gave me a few exercises, uh, which oddly enough, they're not that um, different from the exercise that I did the first time I got a foot injury. So, you know, when you put a towel down and you need to yeah. do this with your foot. So, Anyway, it was good, but I only started doing the exercises once the inflammation was a bit better. Yeah. And then he 
he was he said look if you want to run again you will but you really really need to work on your ballots on your core strength mm -hmm. on your glute strength so i recommend you do something like pilates but again go to someone who can help you because you will need to modify all the movements like yeah. you're not able to do lunges or this or that you need to wear a pad when you do the pilates and so that's how I found Nadine, who was oh. this other Pilates person. She was incredible. She is actually not a specialist in running, but she's, she usually does pre- and postnatal Pilates. Mm -hmm. But she was knowledgeable enough to know how to change every single exercise mm -hmm. so I could do it and still get the benefits. And I did that really consistently. I was doing Pilates three times a week mm -hmm. uh, without almost anything else to do because I still wasn't running. The running back was very progressive. It was one kilometer for two weeks, then like two kilometers, so very little. Uh, and But I really felt the difference in getting my balance back and getting you know the glutes working and activating. So it was really... I mean, unfortunately, <laughs> it wasn't just one treatment. Yeah, right. It was a bunch of stuff <laughs> yep. that, that I had to do. But, yeah, then it, it really started getting better. Well, that's great. So, I mean, that brings up a couple of really important points. And the first thing is that if you really want to get the injury to improve, you have to think about how the injury happened. And a sesamoid injury, whether it's sesamoiditis, a sesamoid stress fracture, whatever, all began because you applied too much stress to the sesamoid bone before you started applying to it again with your next workout. So if you, you know, had done the, let's say before Paris, you had maybe been doing Pilates and you were more stable and you didn't fatigue as much and your form didn't fall apart as much the last few miles, we probably wouldn't even be on this call right now. Yeah. If you had, um, you know, run with some shoes that were maybe a little more supportive for you because you happen to need that additional amount of support, then we probably wouldn't be on this call right now because it never would have happened to you. So then you, once you get injured and you get an injury where you have this too much stress and injury applied to this one little sesamoid bone, you have to do something to get the amount of irritation of that bone down to where it's going to start healing. That means you need to identify things that, like exercises, uh, that can really aggravate the bone. There are a lot of uh, supplementary cross-training exercises I see people do that are really and truly leading to and causing the sesamoid injury more than they're running. So you have to eliminate those things. You have to switch your shoes. If you need to switch shoes, not everybody does. Sometimes the padding helps. Sometimes taping helps. You have to do something to reduce the inflammation. I mean, sesamoiditis, you know, the itis part of it, that just means inflammation of the sesamoid bone. Like if you have... Um, you know, uh, uh, appendicitis, that means you have inflammation in your appendix. If you have tonsillitis, you have inflammation in your, in your tonsils. So you have to get the inflammation down, just like, you know, you were told you have to get the inflammation down first, and then you can do these things. Otherwise, it just aggravates irritated tissue. But then there's all these different options. You can do strengthening of the muscles in the foot, and that changes the position of the sesamoids a little bit, so it's not rubbing in the same spot with the same amount of pressure but you have to find the things that will help. And every one of those you do will help a little bit more. 
if you're trying to save money and you stop eating out, that'll make a big difference. If you uh, stop making a car payment, that'll make a big difference. If you, um, if you start getting a side job and you add to your income, that makes a big difference. And it's the same thing with these injuries. You just have to try to identify every little thing that can move that line further and further down so you can heal faster and faster and then get back to running. Uh, and that's really not, you know, that complicated. I mean, treating running injuries in themselves is really not that difficult. Any doctor can help, but keeping runners running um, when they're injured, like, you know, in your case, it can be very difficult. And that's why many doctors say, oh, you just need to stop running first thing. But it is often possible for people to continue uh, to run. Uh, but when you get back to running, there's a whole nother thing that happens. Like you have this plan where it's like one kilometer, then two kilometers. And when you've run a marathon, this seems kind of like a joke, you know? Yeah. It's sort of like if you're trying to buy a house and somebody says, oh, you should save one penny today and then save two pennies tomorrow. You're like, a penny? What are you talking about? You know, this doesn't make any sense. It's, you know, this will never buy a house. Um, so you start doing those runs and it's very frustrating and it seems a little silly, but there's this other part of it where you develop a lot of anxiety, fear, and that fear and anxiety sometimes, sometimes a little bit too much, it holds us back because we're so afraid that we're going to have that debilitating pain where you can't even walk. So when you started doing those runs again and you felt like you were getting better and you started ramping up your running, did you have any of those kind of worries? Yes. No, I was really taking everything people were telling me to do to a T because I was just like, I cannot get this. I cannot get another injury on my foot. Like, this is ridiculous. I just, you know, I really like running and I want to do it on the long haul. Mm -hmm. And so, like, I'm not trying to, you know, win a, a major marathon or anything so it's I think a little bit about adjusting your your goals as well your perspective like do you prefer to run consistently for most of your life or do you want to like destroy yourself for absolutely so it was a bit but because I I was feeling so much pain to walk for so long mm-hmm. I it really helped me frame my mindset. Once I started running again, I was like, Oh my God, this is incredible. This is just like the best feeling in the world. Like I can walk again without wanting to cry, you know, like it's so it really, yeah, I think it's about how you see things. Yeah. That makes sense. I mean, it really is perspective, you know? Um, And that's the big thing here is that it's all about your perspective. It's about not just running. It's about all the emotion and everything behind the running that we do. And it is important for everybody. It's really interesting because I treat lots of, uh, you know, elite athletes and all that kind of stuff. And, and it's really interesting. I will oftentimes get um, somebody who wants to do a consultation call and, they'll all they're almost apologetic they'll say well you know i'm not like really a real runner i mean i do you know the occasional marathon and stuff but i'm not any kind of olympic athlete or anything will you do a consultation call with me like it doesn't matter like we all have what are crucial things to us as individuals everybody's story is important and everybody's running injury is important and it doesn't really matter whether you run a three-hour marathon or a five-hour marathon you know it's still just important to every single one of us to be able to accomplish those goals. Um, and, and that's part of the thing why I wanted to have you on here. You know, it's one thing to get advice from a doctor. I mean, I know a lot of stuff about feet and running injuries and all that, but I think it's oftentimes far more helpful 
you know, to hear the story, like the feelings and the emotions that go along with an injury like sesamoiditis from someone like you that actually figured out what it's like to go through that whole experience of having that injury and then getting back to running. And, uh, and I know it's not easy, but I, I'm grateful that you're willing to do it because not everybody is. And, you know, so if you're, if for the people who are listening right now, most of them are going to be people, of course, who have sesamoiditis or some kind of sesamoid injury and they don't really know what to do. So what is the piece of advice that you would give them? I'd say to, yes, be patient, <laughs> really try to limit your movement of your toe as much as possible. If it's, if it's hurting that much. Mm -hmm. I found that I sing it every day after a long day of walking or whatever, or just existing when the pain was too much really helped um, just to relieve the pain and really to try to find, you know, specialists in your area and find good physiotherapists. I think physiotherapists are really key once you have the diagnosis finding someone who really understands what your problem is. I didn't find mine in one goal. Like I had to go through a few different appointments and, you know, ask a lot of runners. So I think, you know, if you have access to a running club or anything like that, a running community, that is usually helpful because they might know someone who treated a different injury, but really help them, as you said, keep moving and keep running. So it's going to be a, uh, a provider that has the same goals as you in a way. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's it. Right. Is that uh, they're one of the very first uh, elite athletes I saw uh, many, many years ago, he wrote a review and his review of like my services started out as I picked this guy because I figure anybody that will do four Ironman races in a year will not tell me to stop running. You know, you can't throw, you know, somebody who lives in a glass house can't throw stones kind of thing. And yeah. it's totally true. You need somebody that can relate to. And if your best friend gets this injury and she lives in London, you can send her to those people because you know them. But because of what you've been through, if she actually had moved to Dallas, Texas, you can still tell her, you know, go find the local running club, go p talk to people in those, in that community, just start getting connected with people, ask people in the running groups, have you had an injury who helped you? And there's tons of stuff online. You can always find people no matter where you are. Um, but there are certainly people that have the sort of passion for sports that will help you figure out how to keep running because they themselves understand how important it is. That's, I think the, the bottom line here. Now, I really appreciate all the stuff you've shared. You've been so open with it. There's a ton of information you put like even on Instagram. So I think everybody should follow you on Instagram. Uh, and if anybody's trying to figure out how they can follow you or reach out to you directly or connect with you, where should they go? So yeah, I have an Instagram account. There's a lot about my sesamoiditis issues, links to all the providers. Uh, it's Bell, B-E-L underline Bites. B-I-T-E-S mm -hmm. or my email it's info at bellbites.com and yes you can follow me there DM me whatever with your questions I think there's lots of resources on your podcast as well and your website I'm sure that every piece of advice I would give to a patient is available somewhere if not on my podcast or on my website I mean I've written now hundreds or thousands of articles and stuff it's available somewhere so the information is available there's no one now 
who has to feel like because they live in a small town or because they are isolated from some big group, they can't get the information they need. Obviously, you're in London and you found the stuff that you needed and it came from a variety of different sources, not just one. And I think that's really an important point as well is that it, it takes sort of your determination and diligence sometimes to find the solution you need that is actually going to get you back on track. So what are you training for right now? Do you have, or I know there's a lot of chaos with schedules and stuff, but um, you know, what, what do you like, what do you have sort of in your mind as the next thing that you're going to do in terms of a big goal? So I was training for the London marathon, mm -hmm. which has now been postponed. Uh, I want to just say that I went back to training with my old coach and it's remotely because he is in Brazil. Okay. But I want to say that he is really great. I feel like if you lack motivation of any sort while you're injured, it's good to have a coach that will create a cross-training plan for you and keep yeah. you on track and tell you it's going to be okay. We can do this. So he was always there for me throughout this whole day. So I was training with him again for the London Marathon. Now we don't know what's going on. So I'm just keeping active until everything yeah. but my main goal of like maybe five years time is to do the OCC which is uh the 50k in the in the in Mont Blanc so in Chamonix because yeah. I've been doing a bit of trail running now and yeah but that's the long that's the long end goal <laughs> yeah, that should be beautiful. Uh, well, I, I would imagine that'll make for some incredible things to, uh, to post on Instagram when you actually do that event as well. So that's fantastic. Well, listen, thanks so much for coming on the show today. You know, I think it's incredibly helpful to hear, you know, your story and your process and how you dealt with all the anxiety and emotion and stuff that can come in with getting all of these, this conflicting information about sesamoid injuries from somebody who's a real runner who has had a real experience with it. Uh, in a way that nobody else can relate. So I'm really grateful for you coming on the show today. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. And thank you for all your services. They're great. <laughs> They're really helpful. <laughs> My pleasure. I just wanted to take a second and let you know we've created a couple of different excellent resources for any runner who might have a sesamoid injury. So our guest today, she actually went through this long battle with a sesamoid injury and then got back to marathon training. And during her journey, she had to look for and find doctors, physical therapists, and others who could help her heal the sesamoid injury and keep running. And she put together a list of those providers. And just by understanding who they are, looking them up, even if you're not in London, you know, if you look them up and you see kind of their approach, it might give you kind of a clue of who to look for in your area. And it might help you find someone to help you recover as well from a sesamoid injury. In addition, I created a video for you to answer the number one question I get from runners with problems with the sesamoid bones. And that question is, of course, can I run with sesamoiditis? Now, both of these resources together, we'll have them on the website. They're free. You can go to the show notes page for this episode at docontherun.com under the podcast tab. You can check them out when you get done with this episode, and I think they'll be really helpful. If you have a question that you would like answered as a future edition of the Doc on the Run podcast, send it to me and then make sure you join me in the next edition of the Doc on the Run podcast. Thanks again for listening.